0: Veteran Podcast. Thank you for your service. Alright everybody, welcome back to Bulletproof Veteran Podcast. I am super excited today because whenever I can pass on some information that might help people, That's what jazzes me up. That's why I started doing this was because I wanted to help people. I wanted to get information out that maybe wasn't readily available or maybe veterans just didn't hear about, you know, and, you know, you get locked into your own little world, your own little community, and you don't see some of the help that is available to you, especially if you really need it. Um, So today on the show, we have Charles Brown. He is actually the second term president of Paralyzed Veterans of America, call it PVA, is a little bit easier, a little shorter for us, especially for those with uh, short attention spans like myself. PVA works real well for me. Um, and they are so many things. They're an advocacy group. Um, they help with veterans' benefits. They help with uh, adaptive homes. Uh sporting events, uh, you know, uh, adaptive sports, all that kind of stuff. They get people involved. They are also just a community of paralyzed veterans and caretakers and such um, that can lean on each other. And we need that more now, I think, than ever is just being able to lean on somebody with a similar background or similar story uh, to know that what we're going through, it's okay. You know, I, I think that says so much is when you can turn to your buddy, the guy next to you, and they can look at you and go, no, no, I get it. I understand what you're going through. Um, So that's huge. And and Charles, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and sharing PVA with us.
1: Well, thank you for having me here. It's an honor and a pleasure.
0: Great. Well, what we usually do on the show, we always start out basically the same. We like to hear about the person that's coming on. This way, we know where you came from. We know your backstory, and then we kind of get into the organizations and all of that. So please, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Well, I I am a Marine Corps veteran, as you'll see the Marine Corps emblem behind me. Um, I enlisted at delayed entry in '84. Went in in January of '85. Um, I was uh, training in aviation ordnance, and I was stationed at Cherry Point, North Carolina, when I uh, in- was injured in a diving injury and broke my neck at cervical five, Circle six. Um, hmm. I love the military. I love I love marine aviation. I love a lot of those things. So, for all those years of growing up, for me, it was a natural fit to do this. And uh, I, know, I, was, I was a young man lost for a little bit, but when I got to Marine Corps. I found a home and I found a job that
0: was right for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that so many people, the military becomes that home. It becomes that kind of answer. I know for myself, man, I I went away to college when I first got out of the military, didn't even last a year, was back home, writing my name on the orange juice. So, you know, somebody wouldn't touch my stuff that I bought. And I looked around the house and I was going, what am I doing? I got to get out. (laughs) And I ended up in the air force, you know, which was the best thing I ever did. Um, good, bad, or indifferent, it still was the best thing I ever did. Um, yes. So I think for a lot of people, you're right. Um, and I guess that goes into my next question is is for someone who suffers an injury like that, that has to be kind of more than just the physical injury. The mental side of that is what really has to be difficult to kind of get over because your identity is a Marine. A Marine yes. is not paralyzed. A Marine but, is a Marine. You know what I mean? And, and listen, exactly can, we'll, we'll poke fun at all the services. We do it here. You know, I'm in the Air Force, Chair Force. You want to go, I'll go get my coffee mug upstairs. It's fine. I'll just stand here. It's great. You know, we want to talk about the Marines and crayons. We could talk about the Navy. We won't get too much into that. Um, but, um, you know, it's part of your identity, especially for that period of time, especially when you're young. Um, so from the mental side, it, after that injury, you know, how did you process through that? And, and cause you still were in the military. Yes, I was, uh, I was in the
1: military. I was 20 years old. And I, the day I suffered my injury, I, um, um, stabilized in an outside hospital for four days and I was airlifted over to Augusta, Georgia, mm. to the VA medical center there, um, put into the bed. Um, the next day they came in, they worked with me to put a, they switched over from a metal device with the tongs in my head, with the rope hanging off the weights to a, a Halo device which kept me stabilized. And I believe it was the following day when a gentleman from uh, PBA came into my room and told me this grand story about this organization that was going to do so much for me because with my paralysis, I wasn't going to be able to do much. And I looked at him and I smiled and I said, thank you very much. I'm a Marine. I'm going back to work. Thank you. I'll be fine. Mm -hmm. And I was, I'm stubborn. I am a Marine. I am stubborn. I will fight through a lot of things and uh, I will fight for the cause no matter which way it goes. So um, it was a huge mental hurdle to get past. I'll be honest with you. Yeah. Um, even up three months into injury, knowing that I had little function return and was able to do little things. My fight was to be able to walk, to run, to go do those things and get back in, to my unit. In fact, um, when the, uh, my company commander came down with my staff sergeant and they brought me, you know, my clothes and a lot of things that were in, you know, in the barracks, I looked at him and said, that's great, but you know, I guess I have to truck this all back when I go back. And they were trying to tell me then that I would not be going back to the Marine Corps. And I said, Well, you know, hey Louie, can I at least become an admin? I mean, I can do that kind of work. I'll sit in the office. I'll I'll do anything. You know, mm-hmm. I just want to go back and fulfill my term as a Marine. And uh, even after that visit, I it took me a while to come to grips that I would not be the walking and you know, or functional uh, Marine that I was before. Um, PVA was actually the catalyst and actually helping me make those changes and getting me mentally set and ready for life outside of the military life and to be ready to adapt to the world that's out there and find ways to make the world adaptable to me. Being injured in 1986, the ADA wasn't intact. So Mm -hmm. transportation issues were there. Um, There was all kinds of things that you hurdles you had to go through that. I mean, as you learned in the military, it's adapt and overcome. Yes, sir. You find a start. you find an uh, obstacle, you either you either plow through it, you climb over it, or you go around it, one of the three. So um, that's kind of the way I've always lived after my injury. And I have to be honest with you, PVA, again, was the catalyst that has driven me through all of those lifetimes. I've had struggles um, numerous times since, since my injury, but I've always had – PVA has always been my crutch. They've always been the, the, the group that's been there to support me to help take care of me and to guide me into different things.
0: Yeah. And sometimes you need that crutch. Sometimes you need that support. You know, we all like to, you know, trudge through and and deal with our own problems. But unfortunately, a lot of times we get ourselves in more trouble trying to do that than if we would just lean on the guy next to us, like I had said, you know. Um, and it's awesome that PVA was there kind of almost from day one for you, even if you kicked him out of the room. And we'll forgive you for that. Um, <laughs>
1: So I'll be honest with you. Yeah, actually, the guy actually wanted to come in the day I was transferred into the hospital. He wanted to come in the room that day and just introduce himself, but the nursing staff and everybody just asked him you know, to wait, wait a little bit. The day they changed the, the devices on my head, you know, I definitely did not want anybody in my room. I was really it was kind of a rough and stressful day, so I asked for, you know, no visitors. Mm-hmm. But uh, PVA was there pretty much from day one once I went to the VA hospital um, because, I mean, to be honest, that is where we are based at most of the time. Of the, we have what, 25 spinal Water injury centers across the nation now. And we're in every one of those. Um, we have either a service officer there or our chapters are there, working with members in those areas. And we're here to help, like you said, to learn how to adapt to a new life. Mm-hmm. Um, help fight for your, your health care, for your benefits. About PVA, PVA started from soldiers returning from World War II. Okay. to a nation that really didn't know how to handle them and their longevity of life. A lot of them were being warehoused at different facilities across the nation. I believe there was like five of them. They were starting to put these, you know, just like a barracks, putting veterans in beds, saying, you know, it's a long row of beds through here, and here's where you stay, you know, and good luck to you. We're going to try and figure out how to make this work. And those veterans have been going through the wars, you know, uh, both, you know, the Pacific and, and the European theaters, and They didn't take no for an answer they knew that things had to be better and they started advocating for themselves and for other veterans um through the grapevine of of military members or phone calls they found out that there was other groups across the nation in different hospitals they started meeting um some guys would purposely get discharged from the VA to make it near the next place so they could be introduced into the hospital there they could actually talk more create more of a network and It was 77 years ago now that PBA was actually um, officially formed. And uh, they had one of their first meetings at a a VA facility in the the gymnasium. Um, And it all started with advocacy. How to make the homes accessible, Mm -hmm. how to make transportation accessible, and how to make life more accessible for people around the communities.
0: So when you talk about advocacy just for so people understand that, because I, I think that word gets tossed around a lot. There's a lot of organizations that quote-unquote advocate. Now, mm-hmm. I could say I advocate for veterans' services and rights because I'm on a microphone, you know, hooting and hollering half the time. But true advocacy is, is a multi-layered kind of process, dealing with D.C., dealing with the Department of Defense, dealing with the, the V.A., you know, you're constantly talking to elected officials, bureaucrats. Um, you know, because there's plenty of appointed officials that you have to kind of deal with. Non-elected, you know, that they don't answer in the same way. They're not worried about their constituents. Let's put it like that. Um, they're worried about their next appointment or whatever. Um, to walk us through a little bit of the advocacy portion of of uh, uh, the organization and and some of the hurdles you've run into. Some of the stuff that you guys are actually currently working on and and you know what the path forward for a lot of that is
1: oh the early days of pva or my early days of pva were, were actually i was more of an advocate before i got fully involved in my local chapter i was okay. fighting hard for the ada to pass it was kind of demeaning to know that you know while the va helped me get a vehicle that had a lift in it and had hand controls i could drive with which is basically a, a gas and brake system underneath the steering wheel mm-hmm. that I could you know push for gas or push for brake and, um steer you know through a device on the the steering wheel um i could get around town but when i got there it doesn't mean i could actually go into a business i couldn't go into a restaurant i get to a hotel there's steps up to the the front lobby and then from the lobby to the rooms there's steps up to the elevators so you had to find where the service elevator was could you get down the ramp to the service elevator you know wouldn't there be somebody to help you to guide you to get to a certain area for assistance restaurants a lot of times you'd have to have people help you pick up your chair and carry up a couple steps Mm -hmm. to get someplace so the advocacy work starts both locally when you're at your local area, your stores, uh, uh, like curb cuts. You know, you, you see that now, but there was no No, that cuts. wasn't you a thing. To, yeah. You rolled down the sidewalk until you found a driveway. Mm-hmm. It could have been on the backside of the building. So you could roll around the whole block and finally find a driveway to roll off of, to get into the street, to roll back around where you need to go, cross a busy street where there was no you know, crosswalks or whatever, to find another driveway on that side. To get into the building space that you would need to be at and at times it's a lot of times it was dangerous i mean we put ourselves out in traffic in the winter time you know a lot less mobility because you couldn't get places you know streets are blocked up with snow or cars couldn't park at curbside um so we did a lot of advocacy with our local communities with our local businesses we just asked them you know hey can you make this change mm-hmm. can you cut out this step pour some concrete you know and help us get up to your front door a lot of times you ran into, and you still run into this on occasion. Well, we don't have any people in wheelchairs showing up. And you kind of look at them and you say, hey, that's the reason why you're not sitting in wheelchairs is because you can't get in your front door because there's no way to get up in the chair.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I've been asked, oh, of my 37 years of avenger I've been asked so many times, well, if you'll stand up, I'll bring your chair in, you just come and sit back down. It's like, uh, there's no such thing as walking anymore. Uh, I was going to say,
0: yeah, that's a very interesting comment. But then again... So people react the way they react. I mean these things do right. happen.
1: And so some of those times those businesses would need to call the police or they'd call somebody in town saying, "Do I have to do this?" Mm-hmm. And then if you left your phone number with that, that group, you know they would give your number off to like a, um, a building inspector and he'd call you up and like, "What do you mean? You're trying to tell them you know, they have to do this?" It's like, well, it needs to be accessible for business." And then through those advocacy efforts, like talking to people, starting from the bottom and working way up. A lot of times you'd meet state senators, representatives, and eventually you'd meet your congressman or your your senator from the national government. You'd you'd spend some time face-to-face with them and say, look, here's the difficulties. And we also learned at that point in time to actually bring out an extra wheelchair, have them sit in it and remind them they couldn't get up, they couldn't stand up. They had to figure out how to get from the sidewalk across the street and in the front door of the hotel that they were going to to have a big meeting to try and talk to the disabled community not realizing that they didn't realize there were no wheelchairs in front of this hotel mm-hmm. that all the wheelchairs had piled up around the back because that's what the service elevator was. That was wheelchair accessible. They brought the food in on, on rolling carts to the service elevator to either take to the kitchen down or take up to different rooms. So that would leave the floors accessible to us. That's what we learned on how to do. So our advocacy work is now we work with a lot with our congressmen and senators. When we talk to them about, desperate needs to make sure things are better or people are following the rules and guidelines that are set forth. Um, PBA's was there from getting the air carrier access act passed in 1986. And that meant that flying would be accessible for anybody with a disability.
0: Right. That right. was
1: passed four years before the ADA. And that's the unfortunate thing. It's a fortunate, but unfortunate thing because when the ADA passed, everybody thought that the airlines were accessible. They didn't need to include it in the American disabilities act. Big Here rock. we are. Here we are, from 1986 to now, and they still have a huge area to go. Hmm. You can't fly in your wheelchair. Um, you can't board, you know, in your wheelchair unless it's a narrow aisle and you go to the front seat. You know, you're allowed to get there, but usually you're taken out of your chair. There's your mobility device, you're put onto a very narrow aisle chair that gets down those narrow spaces. They lift you again. They put you into that, and your wheelchair is taken from you and put in the cargo hold with the luggage that. We all, all get thrown around and damaged. Could so, could, could go anywhere. <laughs> it, well, oh. yeah, there's, there's once or twice that my chair was almost on another flight. Uh, I was going to say, because you know, it does country. happen. It does happen. Yeah. It's unfortunate, but it does happen. Mm-hmm. So, and we still advocate for accessibility in the community. We advocate for making sure that schools are accessible, that uh, um, not just shopping centers, but you know places of business, that government is accessible, that we now have a, a way to... Redress our grievances with the government. We don't have to sit outside and hold signs and beg. Congressmen or senators to come out talk to us. Now we can actually go to the door, you know, roll up the ramp, knock on the door, go in the front door, and actually talk with them, like you know, like everyone else has the right to do. Um, so our advocacy work is still ground, you know, ground roots right at our home cities, all the way up to the federal government.
0: Um, now, do you find it more difficult with the advocacy portion now than? before and the and the reason I asked that question is is because like in my head I think that buildings are handicap accessible I didn't think it was not okay for that like to me that would just be yes you know uh, I wouldn't think that you couldn't fly properly on an on an airplane because to in my brain and, and ignorant as I may be about it the law would protect you right You know, I think the citizens would think that. But back then, there were examples everywhere where it wasn't like that. You could walk to a hotel and point at a curb. You could point to steps going up to things. There were no ramps. It was very easy visually. Now, I wonder if it's the same.
1: There are a lot of places that are still not accessible. So a lot lot of of it is making sure they follow the law, too. And making sure that the local governments enforce the laws Mm. as they're written. Okay. Um, in Florida, we have a, a large uh, committee that meets in Tallahassee, where some of our one of our members is an architect and knows the rules and laws, and he meets up there with this large group that actually gives variances on disability access. Okay. And so, him being there has made a huge difference in Florida, and this is what we try to do across the nation. We try to get people with the ability advocate the proper way, make sure the laws are followed. Okay. And we make sure that the local governments realize that there's a reason why they have to make sure that when you buy a new, an old building and you're going to put a new restaurant into it, you have to make some modification changes to it. Right, Right. Because there's it upgrades. has to be accessible. Mm-hmm. It needs to be brought up to code to specs. Mm-hmm. A lot of times they're giving variances to allow that because it's expensive. But a lot of times now we're finding there's simpler ways to get past some of those expenses and make it easier for them. And actually, we're asking the government to give them, you know, tax breaks or even uh, mm-hmm. even a grant to make these a little more accessible, to allow a small business to become more accessible for not just ourselves, but anybody else that wants to visit. Yeah. So accessibility, as far as advocacy goes, it's, it's a little easier now. Um, and I, I'll put it this way. I'm happy that we don't have as much of the drive by lawsuits where people will pull up to the front take pictures and then they'll file a lawsuit instead of talking to the owner hmm. of the building or business saying, Hey, you know, I want to shop at your store, but you're not accessible. Is there any way you can make a you know minor changes to make your place accessible? I'm happy some of those changes have been made because that was a little beyond the scope of what the ADA was supposed to be.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and we, when I say we, I mean, those of us that were out there fighting for it, those that had been more in the forefront at that time, we didn't want to take business away from businesses. We're wanting to actually give them more business. Right. And that's what PDA is about, is making sure that our members are
0: able to get out of their homes, into the
1: community, and provide, you know, the same business experience that anybody else has.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and there's a huge difference between those two things. Uh, you, know, they're, they're, you know, you're trying to be a bigger part of the community. And and help your community by putting your hard-earned dollars into businesses and communities and small businesses and all of that. Because let's be honest, this, the small business owner that has to make those accommodations, they have to put their money into it. So it's good to know that, hey, listen, we're asking you to do that because we want to give you money. We want to we want to help your business. We want to spread the word that you're accessible and our community will come and shop with you. Um, So I think that's very important. It's not all about, hey, I told you you have to do this and you didn't do it. So now I'm going to make you pay. Right. That's not the point here. (laughs) No, it was never the point. In fact, the point when
1: we asked for them to do that,
0: that grievance, especially
1: with the Department of Justice, was Mm -hmm. not to take the money from the business, but to help them see that their errors were bad and that the money that they would be fined would actually go back into the improvements of the business.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and and like you said, talk about grants and things like that. Let's figure out how to pay for this. If you are a small business, yeah, it could be a little difficult. You know, you know, every dollar counts. You know, my father was a small business owner. You know, every dollar counts. It wasn't like, hey, we'll just figure it out. You know, yeah, Walmart might be able to do that, but. You know, and they're, and they're, and they're, and they're not great either, but, (laughs) but, but yeah, they, you know, they'll throw, you know, if they have to put a ramp in, you know, that's a line item budget for them. It's not the end of the world, but if you're a small restaurant with 10 seats in it, that could be five, six days worth of a full restaurant to put that ramp in. So let's make it easier for you. Let's, let's help you get a grant. Get a tax break, like you said. Let's get the government on board to provide that because it's an improvement and and, and go from there. So I think that's very important.
1: And get the cities to recognize that they need to give the waiver to allow the sidewalk to be modified Mm -hmm. so that when the concrete's raised up, it's not creating the hazard. Yeah, That actually makes things more accessible. And so some cities will say, well, you can't make that modification. It makes the sidewalk dangerous. You're like, no, it doesn't. If you make this modification – you can do this to it, and it's even safer.
0: Right, right. So, and a lot of the a lot of these accommodations actually transcend uh, people just with disabilities. You know, uh, my mother-in-law, I have to help her in and out of a car. You know, she's older. It's it's just something that happens with old age. I mean, this isn't even just you know disability, but having a a cutout at a curb that she doesn't have to try to lift her leg and step up when I'm you know getting her into a restaurant or having a ramp so she doesn't have to do stairs. That benefits her as well. So for these businesses it 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 goes past just you know people in your organization and people you represent delivery men, being able to roll the packages yeah. up the front door.
1: A mother with a stroller mm-hmm. right a little girl, a little boy, walking hand in hand with you know whoever they're with, you know, and being able to walk smoothly without having to try and figure out how to get up the big curb. Yep. All of these things, those modifications have been made. It makes everybody's life easier. Mm-hmm. Which is why when we talk about the airlines and they're still struggling to make them accessible, we keep telling them if you make these things accessible by doing simple things, widening your aisles a little bit more, creating a safe space for a wheelchair or two on every airplane that, that is of size enough. Mm-hmm then you don't take the person out of the wheelchair. You don't have a chance to drop them or break them or take their chair below and break it. But all of these things make accessibility for everybody. Like I told you, I was a Marine. I ran six miles a day. I could do a whole lot of stuff. In a blink of an eye, I went to being a quadriplegic.
2: It's
1: not going to be me. It's me right now. It could be you. It could be, like you said, your mother-in-law has a a reduced uh, mobility. Reduced abilities, yep yeah so my comment is, is it could be them, it could be their children. Mm-hmm. so we try to get that that message across. I'm not here to fight with you. I'm here to work with you to make your life better too. yeah. My life being better makes your life better as well. That's what we're trying to do.
0: And when you talk about the airlines and stuff like that, uh, you know for are you talking about like kind of anchor points where you can, like you said, remain in the chair safely, like a cutout because I've seen that in railroads. Uh, I, I've seen that type of thing. Like Long Island Railroad has that. Um, so is that kind of what you're advocating for? So when the
1: ADA passed, it made it so that public transportation would have to be accessible. And they gave a time frame for it to mm-hmm. happen. Trains have to have spots for wheelchairs to sit safely, to be either tied down or to be in a safe location. So they won't be bounced around or thrown around during travel. Buses have the same thing and you have to be put in and tied in place. Even, um, Taxi services have to be provided in areas where you, you reach a certain number of taxis. They have to provide one or two taxis that allow you to drive in that. So those vehicles have to be modified and with places to you know, stay in your wheelchair and drive. Ride. So the problem with the airline is is that, like I said, it was passed first mm-hmm. and everybody thought it would be included in the ADA and it wasn't. So we're working on that behalf right now to make sure that we can advance beyond 1986 when the laws were passed. And Of course. Airlines and the manufacturers haven't really done much to advance the safety and um, comfort of passengers with disabilities.
0: Right, right, and and rightfully so. Uh, You know, let's be honest. (laughs) You could smoke on an airline in 1986. You know, imagine doing that now. You know what I mean? uh, People would lose their minds. So you know, yeah, we have to adjust. We have to, um, you know, look into the future a little bit and say, hey, okay. That was then. This is now. Let's let's make our adjustments.
1: <laughs> and realistically, you, you can't make every seat on an aircraft you know somewhere where you can put a wheelchair. At. We understand that, no, of course. You know, and like we don't bus. You don't make every seat accessible. Mm-hmm. You don't on a train. You don't make every seat accessible. In, in the in the taxis, you don't make every seat accessible. But you make a space available so people can try and stay in their mobility device and fly safely. And that's all we're asking is that to be brought to the same standards. Now. You're you're going to travel. Mm-hmm. You're going to step onto an airplane. The, the, the jetway is a little uneven. You trip and fall. You break a leg. They're going to take care of you, but they're also going to offer you some
2: mm,
1: compensation for your loss and some some problems.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: When the ACA passed, the Air Care Access Act passed. It was thought that that was, you know, in the in the act, but unfortunately, through the court systems and uh, another test. If Congress didn't put it in there implicitly, then it's not in there. So we don't have the right to sue if they break us or break Hmm. our wheelchairs. We have the right to complain to the Department of Transportation and they could eventually levy a fine against the airline. But it wouldn't go to you. No, it doesn't go to me. No. So if I want to sue the airline, I have to actually go to the state that I was injured in and ask the courts for the right to sue them for those little purposes. Hmm. And there's huge hurdles with that. And I would offer you to, to talk to our uh, associate executive director of government relations, Heather Ansley on all those rules, but um, it's possible what we want to do. We don't really want to see the airlines. What we want to do is give them the access, the ability to fl- for us to fly safely. Yeah. So accessibility and advocacy work starts with our at home Do our home. Are our homes accessible. We have architects on board that inside PVA that will help your business uh, or major stadiums that go through renovation projects. We work with the VA to help make sure that the hospitals actually follow and, and are safe and, and accessible places. But we also have a book. We have books that are available for our members and we actually offer some help to those that want to make their homes more accessible. Okay. And we have those out also. So we advocate for accessibility at home, to the businesses, to the large stadiums. Uh, we're working advocacy work for you know, airlines. We advocate pretty much in every aspect of life that you could think about. But a lot of people, like you said, people don't think about what is and what is not accessible.
0: Of course. Yeah. And like I said, I almost think of it now like that. That's why I, I asked you that question because there, the average citizen probably has an assumption that those things are already in place. Yes. And I wouldn't and even fact, fault them for it. Cause I, 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 Believe I would probably be one of them in a lot of ways, unless I'm I'm speaking to someone who says it's not. You know what I mean? Um, yes. So it's very easy, you know. And Congress is a fa- it's a funny place. And if you can't show numbers of people that won't vote for somebody <laughs> unless they change something, a lot of times it's hard to get them to move. Um, that's not always. Uh, and I'm not I'm painting with a big broad brush, so I don't want to say that just that's the way it is. But when you have people behind you. It's a louder, it's it's, and they see their constituents want this. So it's it's a big part of this is making sure the public knows that it's not all perfect out there. That there is change right. that does need to be made, so that then they get on board and say, "Hey, what is." Yeah, what is my congressman doing about, you know, peoples with disabilities, things like that? You know, what are they doing with the air carriers? What are they doing with, you know, uh, making sure there's grants available to help people with their homes, you know, make adjustments after injuries or when they're getting out of the military from a military injury or whatever the case may be? What are they doing at the VA to make sure that it's a little bit of a better place? What are they doing to make sure there's benefits allotted? And it's not a hard thing to do, which we all know it can be. That um, you you said the act of the proper word, the benefits that those members of the military
1: have earned through their service. Yes, yeah, and that's a good thing. You, you asked earlier, and I'm going to bring it up to you right now. Go ahead. VA is probably one of the best as far as benefit advocates. We we highly train our national service officers to write some of the most complex benefit packages that are out there. Person with a spinal cord injury with MS or ALS it's really hard sometimes to advocate or to say the right words so that the the rating board will actually understand what is actually wrong with that veteran or mm-hmm. that person. Yep. And our national service officers have been, they go through constant training. They're working daily with our, vet- our members. And um, we are also actually yearly catching back up with those members saying, Hey, we're still here. What's going on? Do you need help? You know, have your benefits been taken care of, you know, and we're, if they're still lagging, we'll work at them closer at that point in time. Yeah. So when you mention benefits, there's a, you know, if the VA rates you the proper way, then you will actually get, you know, some assistance in making your home accessible.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and we do work with outside companies to actually, that provide some of those uh, modifications we made. Um, we can locally, we can direct you to the local companies that will do that or larger corporations. So nationally, we work hard to make sure that our benefits are advocated properly through the VA healthcare system and the Department of Justice, because there's our Department of Defense, I apologize, the Department of Defense, mm-hmm. the DOD is quite a bit of a different animal. Um, they have different strict rules and getting into them sometimes can be more more difficult, but we do have experts that work with the DOD. So if we have a difficult case of someone who's not in the VA system, but they're a part of the Department of Defense, we have people that can help write for those benefits to make sure that those those veterans are uh, treated properly also.
0: And it, and I, I can't agree more with the the whole wording thing. And I'm like I was saying to you before we started, I'm going through that process right now, and it's it's amazing when you talk about like the nexus, you know, that that third part, where right, You know, where you're linking your current diagnosis to a service connected event or whatever the case may be. If you're talking toxic exposure, if you're talking something that was in you know an injury, but the doctor wrote it up as your you know, lower back, but it actually was your neck that hurt, but the doctor wrote it in your file, his neck, and now the they when they went through, they're like, no, you don't have a service-connected event, and you have to now fight, but the wording in it, because, like, I have a heart condition that, that I'm working on right now, and if you don't write it up properly, it's just, no, right away, it's done, and there's certain trigger words that they're looking for, and there's certain ways that you have to, you know, is this a secondary condition? Is it a primary condition? You know, how— you know they, they can deny something if it's written as a secondary condition, and there was no and your primary condition never got you know uh, approved. So now you're you're out for everything. So there's all these different things, and I'm just learning about it, and it's it make your head spin. <laughs> you really can, but it's great to know that you guys, especially uh, you know, for uh, people with spinal cord injuries and, and and ALS and all these other different things. Um, that you're 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 kind of working on their behalf, not kind of. You are working on their behalf and making sure that they get the benefits that they need. Because, like you said, if you don't have the right benefit, you don't get all those things that that yes. that you're owed. You're owed that. You've earned it. Yeah, I, I, my people, I like so that term. better, no, too. I,
1: my comment is, my comment is you earned it. You gave it to the country. Yep. You you did serve and you did earn those mm-hmm. those benefits that you, you should right get. But recently, PDA – I mean, not recently, but we've been an advocate for caregivers for the longest time as well. Yes. And we've worked with Elizabeth Gold and any of the groups that will fight for our caregivers to make sure that they're treated properly. Mm -hmm. They're given the proper pay or or compensation they need for helping us. Um, I, myself, I had a family member that was my caregiver for close to 20 years. And it was was getting to the point where, you know, they were aging and they needed to actually earn more of a living to, to be able to have a retirement. And by working with me, they weren't able to do so. So they had to drop. From being my caregiver to go work at a different job and now the president signed an executive order that will make some of that easier for a family member and caregiver to be paid properly and taken care of they'll get earned credits with social security and other company or other groups that will allow them to earn a higher retirement so that mm. they don't have to strand someone at home you know or make us go to the community uh, facilities um to be honest, I'm very lucky that I'm still able to stay in my home with an outside caregiver. Most of the time, when a family member no longer can work with you, you end up going to a nursing home or to a VA facility, long-term care, mm-hmm. somewhere, assisted living, and you know your private life is gone.
0: Yeah. And, you're now and, in a community. And those are expensive facilities, depending on... It, it never made sense to me that you're looking at $200,000,
1: $300,000 to live in a nursing home mm-hmm. for all this care that you need, yet... If they would just have spent sixty thousand on your caregiver, seventy thousand, eighty thousand, whatever it takes for them to actually be at home and earn, earn a true living and taking care of you, how much money they would save? You know what? Would it? What are they actually doing? And then you look at the veterans and even the population as a whole that could never afford living in you know those kind of centers. Mm-hmm. Where are they at? You know, it's it's kind of a. Sad situation yeah. but we've been advocating again for years to make sure our caregivers are taken care of
0: um, and I always had been, a big problem with uh and and again this is just me and and dealing with you know family members who have had to go into assisted living and things like that you you know you look for the nice facility you want them to be treated properly you, you know you want them in the best care possible, but you can't use their Medicare or any of their benefits or their health insurance that they pay for to help with any of the costs. You have to drain every dime that they have, sap everything of an inheritance that might have have been, and not that that's what you should be focused on, but you have to literally liquidate everything to get even a dollar of support. Um, You know, there are some ways around certain things and there are things you can do, but it, to me, it, just, it boggles my mind that you pay into systems and you pay for your health insurance and you don't get anything from that.
1: <laughs> that's the truth. And that's, I mean, I will say this. I was at the White House on, in the Rose Garden when President Obama, or sorry, President Biden signed the executive order recently, mm-hmm. um, making it, giving more access to caregivers on every level, from the mother going to college with two small kids whose, hus- whose husband is disabled or... You know, um, the, the mother or you know family members taking care of the brother, or mm-hmm. the father taking care of the son, coming back for more, you know, those kind of things. Um, when he signed those executive orders, making caregivers, uh, allowing them to have more access to more funds, more programs, with, and cutting out a lot of the red tape, that was great. Yeah. We just need Congress to ratify that and really pass those bills that they already have sitting in front of them. Yeah. The executive order is there and their things are getting done, you know. A lot of the red tape's been cut out of the way, but we need Congress to make that action and say, hey, we agree. What we need to do is open up the, the dollars that we had sitting here and of making them so hard to get. Um, and that's a big thing to PVAs, like I said, we always advocate for every level, not just for the veteran to receive his benefits, but for the caregivers to receive of the course. benefits that they're, they're going to earn. They need, the veterans need, so.
0: Yeah, they need to be yeah. there for the veteran. It is veteran care. You know, like you said, yes. you're a caregiver. So that is veteran care. Um, yes. Because, and on who's going to take better care of our veteran than a family member or a close personal friend somebody that that genuinely loves that individual they're going to provide the best care <laughs> yes you know and that's what we, yes, we should are. advocate for um, yeah executive uh, actions are a tricky thing you know they, they can be good in one way but they disappear quickly they it all it's a stroke of a pen and they're gone you know so all that yeah. great stuff that you're talking about uh, you get somebody else in there and says nope that doesn't exist anymore and it's gone
1: well, that's why we said, well,
0: once uh, President Biden signed
1: that executive order, we didn't stop. We didn't right. say, okay, we got the victory, walked away. No, We actually no. went back to Congress, we doubled down, we said the president recognizes these issues. You know, he signed the executive order. We're here in front of you, you, you know, you guys can pass this through in a short amount of time. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and it, it didn't have any more financial impact on the nation. It just allowed the money to flow. Cut the red tape out. That's all we're asking is cut this red tape out of the way allow the dollars that are there to be used properly.
0: Right, right. And now, speaking of the, um, the caregivers, you also do some support for them as well, just not outside of just advocate and, and, and making sure that they get compensation, but they can also come to your organization for support as well for whatever they need, because that's a difficult job. That is not, you know, hey, when you talk about 70,000, that's peanuts for the work that they do, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Nonstop, difficult, mentally, physically. Um, you know, you're, you're talking about doing a lot. You're, you're, you're a nurse. You're a, you know, you're a probably a psychologist, a therapist. <laughs> you're a mentor. Uh, you know, you probably are an architect. You're probably a construction worker. You're all those things in the home. Um, so I know that you guys do some stuff for for the caregiver as well.
1: We do, and we use a lot of the resources that are out there. We try to guide people to the right places right. to get a lot of the information. But we provide some there ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, during our national meetings, we always make sure that our caregivers are are, are given you know extra days of you know R and R time as well. A lot of our chapters are doing the same things. You know, they're creating a caregiver day or two. But what we're looking to do now is actually bolster that program. What happens when that veteran passes away? And that spouse or caregiver no longer has that veteran to care for them. They don't have to pay. They don't have a job, you know, they're, they're lost. And, you know, they're, they're kind of lost what's out there. What we're trying to do now is set that network so that every caregiver is treated the same way through PVA that our members are. Right. We work with our members from the day that we recognize their injury until their last day. We want to work the same way with our caregivers. We're working hard to make sure that we can provide a program for them that allows them to make the phone calls the same way our veterans do and says, Hey, I got an issue. You know, I got this problem. Is there somebody in my area that, that can help out? Or, you know, my my veteran has passed away. Um, I used to come all these events and now I don't have a veteran. What do I do? We Mm -hmm. try to include them in the things that we do. And and our national veterans wheelchair games are a great way of doing that. Um, We, we co-work with the VA and putting these together. It's the largest annual wheelchair sporting event for uh, wheelchair veterans across the nation, across the world annually. But we bring our caregivers in also that had been there before with their spouses or, you know, we say, Hey, or, you know, Come join us, come do these things. You're still a part of us. We're, we're trying to offer those kind of events to them as well. So they're still in the same community, they've still got the same supports. And we, you know, we're working on building this program even even more robust now. Um, as my term as president comes to an end, I've been talking to the newcoming president and full agreement. He sits on the National Committee for Caregivers. And uh, we're gonna work together as making sure that PVA provides even more services for our caregivers, provides them, you know, direct access to. The things they were need. Right, uh, right. They might need a caregiver themselves. And if we have the ability to find them a caregiver in their in their community, they will do the same.
0: Yeah. No, it's it's very I think it's really important because you know, you see somebody who just loses a job or transitions out of the military. We talk about it all the time. How difficult that change of life and, and when you lose that mission, you know, we talk about it on the show. All the time. One of the hardest things to do when you transition out of the military is the fact that you don't have that mission anymore. And now you have to find your next mission. Imagine being a caregiver. That's your mission. Military service aside, that's your mission is to take care of that person. And when that person is no longer there, you're kind of just left.
1: So one of the good things I'll tell you that PBA is also is we actually have a, a jobs program throughout PBA. Mm-hmm. Not just our members. But for any veteran that's out there, any spouse, caregiver, family member, we're working hard to make sure we can try and find you a drive across this nation. So say your veteran passes away, you haven't worked in anything in the field other than caregiver work, Mm -hmm. but you want to get back to work. We have the ability to offer them time to speak with our our, um, vocational rehabilitation specialists. Sorry, vocational rehabilitation specialists and actually (laughs) work with them. It comes together pretty quick sometimes. But we want to get them back in the community and working if that's what they want. We're trying to provide services to people, to our people, to veterans, to caregivers, to family, to have a higher quality of life, a better quality of life than they would have, you know, when, once those things change. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, it only makes sense to me. I, I, you know, when, you, when I hear you talking about it, that's, that's the way it should be. I mean, you know, you're, you're, your caregiver is giving up a portion of their life to serve you. You know, that's their service just like your service was the military you know um and and we should always honor those things um and and you know give back to the people that do something outside of themselves there's a lot, there's too much selfishness in this world when so when i see people doing stuff like that like that, yeah those are the people we should emulate those are the people that we should help and and make sure get what they uh, what they need <laughs> yes. So you you touched on something and it's definitely something I wanted to talk to you about and that was the sports side of things. So I'm a huge sports fan. I love sports. Everything from football, I mean, I'll watch bowling on the TV. Uh, you know, I I play volleyball, I coach volleyball, hockey. You know, I I if it's on, I'll throw it on and I'll watch it. So you started pretty early on with the rugby aspect. So Tell me a little bit about that and, and, and what you kind of got started with, with well, rugby.
1: When I first got injured, I was looking for sports. I was, like I said, I was a Marine Corps. It runs six miles a day. Yeah. yeah. But like, like it was nothing. I could do pull-ups, sit-ups, and I was physically fit. But being injured, you had to, like, find something for the outlet. Um, I went and started track and field, and I was looking. That was great. Push a wheelchair around the field, you know, they're on the track. Okay. Try to throw a shot or a disc, you know, or a javelin. Things that, some of those things I shouldn't have been doing, but I was still trying. Um, I went to National Veterans Wheelchair Games in 1992 in Dayton, Ohio, and I was introduced to wheelchair rugby. Um, The original name is called Murderball. It was uh, started in Canada by a bunch of potterplegics who couldn't play basketball. They couldn't get the ball above their head with ever throwing it. Their objective was to create a sport that would give them more outlets. Basically, it is a mixture of basketball, football, and uh, just wheelchairs colliding with each other, trying to, you know murder ball really just it's a great name to, like, uh,
0: i'm into the name
1: <laughs> so um i was introduced in 1992 and the the adaptive chairs that you see today were not all available at the time so they were we were still playing in our everyday chairs oh wow okay so you you talk about getting your chair you're going out there you're, you're pushing it real fast i mean you try to put your feet or your chair in place to prevent a person from getting past you blocking them off hitting them hard your chair ends up bent or damaged so we played old school, hard rugby.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I was introduced to it, like I said, in 1982. And I came back with a passion to just get this going at St. Louis. I called around some of the therapists that I knew, and I kept asking the question, is this available here? No. Is this available here? No. And I kept looking, and I don't know how many places. So I started calling some of the people that I would get names from that, are cla- that were quadriplegics and saying, hey, have you heard of this sport? You want to play sports. You know, you put your name in before you know, to do something, but this is, wasn't good for you couldn't play basketball you don't like track and field uh you know you know bowling is not your thing all all these sports in fact all the sports you listed every one of those sports is adapted
0: yes the volleyball is a big rock. one I, I've watched the adaptive volleyball all the time I think that it's so cool including wall climbing the rock climbing
1: you have people that use harnesses with their hands they'll pull with their hands and somebody will hold the harness they'll pull them mm-hmm. up so if you can find a sport out there and it's not been adapted we will try to find a way to make it adapted for you. okay so with rugby, it was put together specifically for quadriplegics who didn't fit a lot of mold, the typical mold for basketball or other sports. Um, and then there were two coaches and or therapists in St. Louis that about a year and a half into my phone calls with another gentleman that I found, we were making phone calls every week, just trying to get people together, talk about rugby. Can we get a team going? When these two um, therapists really brought some of their, their patients together for a practice session, we all started meeting up and believe it or not, that was the help start of the St. Louis rolling Rams. They were not called the rolling Rams to start with because the St. Louis Rams were new in the area and they really hadn't bought into this area, mm-hmm. but we had a team and we started to travel a little bit and to learn the sport and try and grow it, especially in St. Louis. And, uh, to me, that was an honor. And when I moved to Florida in 96, um, the environment was a little different, but I was still looking for that outlet. And there was a, a team down here that was established and, um, it was great to play with them for a number of years. I quit playing in uh, 2005. I think that's when my shoulders and my, my life had changed a little bit. I decided that that wasn't going to be where I needed to be anymore.
0: You throttled but back it's, a little bit. A little bit.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, mean, I, I looked for other sports. I did bowling. Um, I played table tennis. Uh, I looked for anything that would allow me to be sports active but also not be as strenuous on my shoulders because pushing a wheelchair every day, is, it just takes it out of you. I can imagine, so, yeah our elbows our wrists our shoulders are not meant to be our knees hips and ankles of our so when we push a chair it damages those as much as well yeah um, i'm in a power chair now you can't see it but mm-hmm. i am in a power chair now because of all my shoulder damage that i've had over the years wow um, and then in bouts i think it was 2011 one of the one of the players that, from Canada that had played rugby with us came down and was doing a a, a demo sport for me called Bocce, B-O-C-C-I-A. Mm-hmm. Um, it is adaptive from the Italian version of Bocce. We don't play from both ends of the court. We play from one end, and we actually, a, a typical basketball court could hold about four Bocce courts. Okay. But, so you can understand it's uh, 12 and a half meters long by, by uh, six meters wide. Um, and the playing surface is a bit different. You play on a flat, smooth surface inside, um, and you the balls are like hacky sacks, they're leather, with pellets inside the uh, typically plastic pellets mm-hmm. and you have the white ball that goes out and regular bocce is called a plint. We call it the Jack. And then you have the option. If you're the red player, you start the first and you have four ends and you throw it out when you're playing one-on-one and the sport was originally developed for those with uh, cerebral palsy CP, the ones that couldn't run or play some of the other sports. And they were again, like rugby left to the sideline, not able to participate in sports. This sport was developed specifically for them so that they could get out of the house, be more active and have a higher quality of life as well. Yeah, a little sense there's of community le- as well. Right. And there's three levels of, of CP that uh, that can play there, BC1, BC2, and BC3. BC3 are the most severe. They have to use a ramp and some sort of device with either their head or you know a hand movement to propel the ball down the ramp onto the floor. The object is to get more of your colored balls close to the white ball mm-hmm. as regular bocce is, and you get points that way. And you play four ends unless you have six people playing and then you play six ends. It's a great sport. It's adapted. Um, they started bringing in some of the other disabilities that had bad shoulder movements or problems and creating another, uh, it's called a BC4 division, BACHA class four, which allowed different disabilities to come forward. Orthodiposis, uh, muscular dystrophy, a spinal cord injury to a level as long as you don't have too much strength or you go beyond a certain thing. But Boxing is actually another another avenue to get somebody out of the house and to a new sport. So you have a friend that likes football, we have we have football together now. We have tennis, table tennis, we have, you know, bowling, archery, um, trap shooting, rock climbing, basketball, power soccer. You have a power wheelchair that's low. And you bump the, the bigger soccer ball with your chair and you try to drive it down the, the court and score a goal. So any sport that you want to play, it's been adapted.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I've seen sled hockey, you know, uh, that, that is amazing to me. You know, what, what they do is just, it's crazy. Like I said, the volleyball is very cool to me. Um, because what's cool about the volleyball that I like is, is, um, non-adaptive players will play with adaptive players in a lot of those leagues. Um, they're just under certain restrictions, you know, self-imposed, but, Everybody could do it together, which is which is great. You know, I, I think that's pretty cool that, that everybody can come to the same place to, to, to just I love the sport of volleyball. I don't care who I play with. I want to play with everybody. I want you to love the sport of volleyball just like I do. You know. Yeah. So I you know it again, I think it all works about just getting people out of their home and enjoying life. You know, all of these things. And I think everything you're talking about is about the enjoyment of life. Um, you know, fixing your house so that it's not a burden for you. Being able to fly where you want to fly when you want to fly. You know, being able to go to the restaurants and the stores you want to. This is all about enjoyment. That's all this is. It's about life. Um, and and it should happen. It, it, it should be that way. A normal, inclusive life. That's it.
1: Somebody, somebody asked me one time, why do I advocate so hard for making sure airlines are accessible? I said, because I want to have the same crappy experience you have where they lose my luggage and do something yeah. else. I just don't want to get any more treatment where I'm beat up or dragged around or things are broken differently. Yeah. So yeah. I said, I just want things to be on an equal field. I don't ask for more than the next person. I don't want that. I don't look to be you know given something in advance. I'd like to be treated like everybody else is treated. Yeah. You know, hey, the restaurant's out of food. Oh, I demand my food. I'm a quadriplegic. Well, that's not going to happen, you know? No. So my comment is, is, it's equal inclusion. And to be honest, our forefathers at PVA, they were one of the best at this. They try to figure out a way to make things equal. Right. Level the playing field. Give everybody the same chances and opportunities. Let them live life like a normal person. And we call that a lot. Normal person and truthfulness. It's just called living life. It's
0: just living life. It really is. Everybody has something that they have to struggle with. Everybody has, you know, you want to call it the cross to bear or whatever the case may be. There's different levels of different things, but everybody just wants to have a good life. I mean, really, in the end, that's the goal. A little yes, smile is. on your face every once in a while, you know, and, and whatever you enjoy. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's very important. I I really applaud you for the work that you're doing and and that and – You know, you've now dedicated, like you said, you were injured 35 years ago, give or take? Actually, I think June 11th, 1986. So, you know, the better part of 35 years ago. And, uh, you know, 37, 37, yeah, doing math now. Look at me go. I told you I was in the Air Force. Um, (laughs) You you can figure that a Marine would know math. See, I gave that one to you. I had to to dispel the myth, see? Um, No, but, you know, and- you know this organization PVA was at the, at your bedside pretty much almost on day 1 you know call yes. it you know you know within within the first month you know they were right next to you so you've been a part of this for all that time so i applaud you for the work that you've done two terms as president uh, i know you'll be passing on you know that torch to somebody you know real soon but you know i know you'll keep working and 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 being there as, as a mentor and and, and advocate and that you are. <laughs> as
1: as I've said to everybody, I was Charlie Brown when I started my position, working you know at the local areas, moving my way up, working at the national organization, becoming president. I'm still Charlie Brown when I'm done. I will still go back to working in my local chapter, my local areas. Mm-hmm. And I'll still assist the national organization when they call me. If they want me to come to Congress and advocate there, I'll be happy to. Yeah. Whatever they want from me, I'll be happy to give them because they have given me so much. Yeah. They yeah. have... They have really saved my life, and I, I I can count the number of times, four or five times, giving me that opportunity to get through the tough spots and hurdles in my life by advocacy or by a friend, a colleague, something along those lines. They've always been there. They've never let me down. Yeah,
0: and, and there isn't much better vote of confidence for an organization than an individual like yourself saying something like that. That's about as the best uh, advertisement that you can be for that, uh, you know, organization is going out and telling people exactly that. Thank you. Yeah. I'm, I'm honored to be doing it. And I, like I said, I'll do it until my last. Yeah, that's great to hear. That's great to hear. And there'll be many more. Don't worry about it. You're getting, you know, oh, yeah. You're going to be doing this for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> so very important. How can people find more information about PVA? How can they help out? Donate, fundraise, anything like that? Um, and obviously, how can veterans get into contact with PVA if they need support?
1: PVA.org. Okay. Go to our main website. All the information is there. We have multiple drop-down tabs. You want to help out, there's several ways to get involved. You can either become an advocate in your local community, find your local PVA group. It may not be in your city, but it may be close by. You can actually ask for information that way. Go to PVA.org, and you can look through our tabs and find assistance. If, if you have the financial wherewithal and you want to help out, PBA really greatly appreciate your support that way. Um, we try to do fundraising drives. All, we do it for all the time mm-hmm. because all of the services that we provide our members, our caregivers, don't cost them a thing. Everything we provide is provided by the donations we receive. I know some of these uh, charity watch groups look at us and they say, oh, you know, your, your numbers are horrible. They really don't get the full picture, they see what we have to put down according to IRS rules sometimes which don't, they don't, it's not true. Right. I can guarantee you that the work we do, the effects we have on our life are so much more important that a little number that says we, we spent too much money on advertising or something when it's not really true. What we're doing is we're trying to get our information out. And so we have these clinical practice guidelines that we provide to our, our, our doctors, nurses, not just inside the VA, but outside the VA, right. To other, other communities. Sometimes that's considered advertising dollars when it's not. Right. It's actually a, a book that will help train somebody how to better deal with a veteran with, um, you know, MS, ALS, or, or even, a, even a person you know, that's not a veteran. So, and all I can say is I, I want everybody to be proactive, to look what's out there. But if you want to know the truth what PVA does, give us a call. Mm-hmm. Go on pva.org, ask the questions. We'll be happy to answer them and show you all the things that we really do. And we're changing lives. We're building a better future for many veterans, as it has with me. So I'm very happy to say pvi.org. Go there. You can go into uh, backslash air travel, I think it is. Uh, put your stories there. Help us get the AC Air Carriers Access Amendments Act passed, which would make aircraft more accessible, the bathrooms accessible, the aisles wider. We're looking for assistance both on the grassroots at home and on the natural, natural group as we can.
0: Excellent. Everybody check it out, pva.org. Charlie, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a really just an enlightening conversation, and I've had a blast talking to you. And anytime I get to talk to somebody who plays bocce, you know, at the national level, I'm never gonna, never gonna turn that down. Come on, I, mean, I would love to actually
1: bring the adaptive sport and show you the difference. I would like to yeah, be it, great at it. Yeah. So where
0: are you located? I'm in New York. York. Okay, we
1: just had the games there two years ago. Shoot, I wish I had known that. I
0: ah, see.
1: I could have brought you out and, and showed you the sport there, but uh, I was on Team USA for a
0: little bit. Yeah.
1: We're going to be in Portland, Oregon at uh, July 4th through the 9th, I think it is, uh-huh. for the National Veterans wheelchair Games. Um, I invite anybody in that area to come out. They're free for, for people to view and come and see the veterans participate in all these Paralympic style sports. Um, I just come out and enjoy, you know, be a fan of a veteran, be a fan of a disabled sports, learn more. We'll be happy to help. And I, I promise you, when I get up towards New York, I give you a holler.
0: and I'll, uh, I'll come out. I'll, take, I'll, I'll bring my to dad. Would, we'll play. He, my dad would love it. He would, he would be all about it. And he's, it. he's a veteran as well. He's an Army guy. <laughs> well, we won't hold that we against him. We won't hold Exactly. I don't hold it against him. I still talk to him. <laughs> I just make sure I check what he's measuring. You know, measure twice, cut once. Um, <laughs> but, Charlie, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a blast, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you for
1: having me, and I'll have a great day. So will you. Have a great, great week, thank you very much. All right, sir. Thank you.
0: I want to thank Charles for coming on the show. It was a great interview, a lot of information, and just you know, a group trying to do right by our veterans. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of need out there, especially for our paralyzed um, and disabled veterans. And we need organizations that go out and help and advocate and support not only the veteran, but the caretaker, the community, and, you know, we build from kind of the ground up. So, you know, Charles, who's been part of this organization for so long and, you know— You know, how powerful it is that they were kind of there day one for him and he got involved and has now continued. And now he's a two time president and he's about to hand it off to somebody else. So, really, very cool stuff. So, please check out Paralyzed Veterans of America. Uh, You know, look into them, donate if you can, support if you can. um, You know, look into all the different things that they have going on. And also, if you are a veteran that needs assistance, please reach out. There's a way to do that right on the website. Um, Another great week. Um, you know, we had the operation vest dog tag run 2.2 mile. The event was amazing. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to be there. We took the daughter to Hershey park, which was our first time going there, which was really cool. I, I recommend it for anybody. They have veteran discounts for all my veterans out there, um, you know, for tickets and also for the shops and stuff like that. So please go out there, check them out. It's a beautiful park. The water park is awesome. The rides are awesome. Um, and it's very clean. It's very kid-friendly. There's stroller parking. There's all this other stuff. And I'll tell you what, if you get a chance, check out the milkshakes at the end, all right? They are amazing. They have a Reese's peanut butter milkshake. I had a Kit Kat strawberry duo with dark chocolate milkshake. I mean, come on. Think about that for a second. All right. It is as good as I just thought. Um, but yeah. I had I had an awesome time. Unfortunately, I wasn't be I wasn't able to be out there at the in person event for Operation Vest, but I do the virtual, which is great about these virtual uh, runs. You know, you don't have to be there. You can still support. You can still participate. You still get your time. You still get your shirt. All that kind of stuff, and you're still there for the veteran community. Jenny and Stefan are just amazing people. They're doing some great things here on Long Island supporting our veterans um, you know they're all over the place and I, I love those guys uh, and what they're trying to do um, you know to help this community and their uh, their drive is amazing uh, you know what what it takes to put these races on when we talk to some of these different race organizers um, you see what you have to do and the the pivoting you have to do and the adjusting to make the event what you want it to be uh, it's just Great to see people stepping up and helping and taking on this, you know, challenge, because it is a challenge to put these events on and raise money and give back, you know, and they're shouldering that. So again, Jenny, Stefan, you guys are awesome. Um, The next race upcoming is the Murph. It's the 24th. Um, That's the uh, run around the lake. That's going to be a half marathon or a four mile. They also have a fun run for the kids, if I'm not mistaken plenty of time to sign up um i think if you sign up before the 22nd you save 10 bucks so after that it's going to go up to full price so you if you want to save your 10 bucks sign up now um we will be out there. Uh, that one, I will actually be at the in-person running. Um, Jack and his wife are doing it. We're going to have fun with them. Um, you know, they're, they're great. They're, they're OG uh, Bulletproof members and uh, we love them. And uh, I think that brie that's her first four miles. She's prepping for the half marathon. So uh, I think that's going to be in uh, October or November. And uh, so this is a good build-up for her. So uh, you know we'll be we'll be cheering her on as well. Um, as always, you can find us on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, all that fun stuff. You can go to BulletproofVeteran.com, Send show ideas to bulletproofveteran at gmail dot com. Everything we do here is for you guys, so tell me what you want. I will get on the mic and speak about what is important to you all. Um, We did some recording out at the Run for Briggs, and I'm going to be putting that out as a little mini episode so you can hear some of the speeches and stuff that we did on Memorial Day. Um, There were some great people speaking um, about uh, the Jolly Five One team uh, that was lost, but just also just veterans in general. It, it was it was really nice. We also uh, one of the scholarship award winners uh, spoke. Uh, amazing young man uh, had a lot of great things to say. So uh, I'm gonna put all that out probably next week, so you'll see that. And um, we'll be getting into these runs. We'll be getting rolling. We got a lot of good things coming up. So I hope everybody stays tuned. Uh, we also have some cool interviews that I'm kind of prepping to get out to you guys with some good information and just some good stories about people uh, really stepping up in our community. So keep that up. Again, send me those show ideas. Let me know who you want to hear from and we'll get them on the show. All right. But for this week and for Bulletproof Veteran Podcast, my name is Jason and thank you for your service.